And so we're going to begin on the theme of this, that Jesus is the enemy of evil. He actually is the enemy of evil. Um, Jesus, everywhere he meets the effects of evil, so sin, disease, right? He erases it when people cry to him for help. He erases the effects of evil. Whenever he meets agents of evil, whether there's unclean spirits, whether they're cranky disciples, whether they're belligerent Pharisees, right? He rebukes them. He rebukes the agents of evil. He erases the effects of evil because he's the enemy of evil. And he opposes it everywhere he goes. And he does it, as we'll see through Mark, through these three things, teaching, healing, and exorcisms until he reaches the cross. Until he reaches the cross. The cross is the final moment these ministries, if you will, climax in the giving of his life to finally defeat evil once and for all. Um, this morning, I'm not going to talk much about teaching or healing. I'm going to talk more about exorcisms, demons, and unclean spirits. Now, as you know, you've, you've been with me a while. We don't often talk about these things, do we? I'm not someone who tends to be drawn to this topic. Um, and yet, consistently throughout Scripture, we are told that we are in a spiritual battle, right? And that we are told that these things truly do exist and they impact. And so I thought, well, we're right at the beginning of his ministry. We're going to see an exorcism. We're going to see other things. And I know you're going to have questions about it. And so I thought, let me lay the groundwork this Sunday. Because you teaching and healings in some ways are a little easier to grasp. This stuff is a little... More, maybe more troublesome for the modern mind. We're just not sure at times what to do with it, what to make of it. So let's begin with the teaching portion. This is Mark chapter 1. I'll read verses 21 and 22, and then we'll pause. Um, before I begin further, let me just pray. Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak the truth. Lord, we wrestle not with flesh and blood with rulers, powers, and authorities, with spiritual forces, Lord, that are dark and are real. Jesus, you are the enemy of all evil. Help us to always be on your side and never opposed to your work. And in your name we pray, amen. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Do you remember who they were in the beginning of this? Remember, he had just gathered up Peter and Andrew and James and John, called them from their nets, and the four of them went together. It's the Sabbath day. They're in Capernaum, and Jesus goes to teach. His teaching is amazing, and it is astonishing. Right? Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching because he spoke with great authority and they had no clue where he got it from. They're baffled. How does this guy, how, how does he know what he knows? Theologically, we know the answer, right? Because he's sent from God. They didn't know that. They thought he was Joseph's son, not the father's son. So every time Jesus opens his mouth, the word of God is pouring forth in their presence, and they can't help but hear the authority within it. He can't not 
speak with authority, right? That makes sense to us. It just happens. He, he possesses it, and so it comes out. His secret, of course, was that he was the word of God made flesh. Then in verse 23, evil enters the synagogue. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So right, I said at the beginning, Jesus is the enemy of evil. And this encounter illustrates it perfectly. We'll kind of move through it quickly, read the final section, and then come back to this theme. So the unclean spirit sees Jesus physically, right? And he says, you're Jesus of Nazareth. He sort of sees the human in front of him. But he also, the unclean spirit also sees Jesus spiritually, and he says, in truth, you are the Holy One of God. And the spirit trembles before the presence of the Holy One of God, and he asks, have you come to destroy us? Because he knows that standing before him is the enemy of evil. Jesus comes to him as an arch enemy, as an adversary, as one who holds life and death in his hands, and the unclean spirit recognizes that and sees it, but the time had not yet come for Christ to destroy, so he simply rebukes and he casts out. But I want you to see what's happening, and the folks who are witnessing it don't fully grasp just what is going on here. They started, right, amazed. Oh, here's a good quote from Augustine, right? The demons had much knowledge, but entirely lacked love. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? They had much knowledge. They knew the person, they knew the, 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 the man and God, but they entirely lacked love. They dreaded receiving their punishment from him. We'll see this come up again when Jesus crosses the sea and casts demons out of another man. They did not love the righteousness that was in him. And I'm afraid some people react to Jesus this way, I mean, to just God this way. They kind of believe and know there's a God, but they really just dread God. Because they also know in their hearts they're, they're contaminated by sin, and they can't possibly make a holy God happy. And so there's a sense of awareness and recognition. Paul draws on this in Romans 1 and 2, and there's a great sense of fear. And into that void comes the gospel. I hope you never relate to Jesus like the unclean spirit does, where you see him and you know him, but you don't love him. They were astonished when he began with his teaching. They were amazed when he cast out the demon. Now verse 29 is going to show healings. So, right, so we talked about teaching, exorcism, and healings. You would have told people, right, if you were in the synagogue, 
you won't believe what happened in the synagogue today. Right. Capernaum had about 1,400 people, pretty small village. You know, if you got home from your, your Sabbath at the synagogue, what's the first thing out of your mouth? It's not, man, you should have heard what they taught about today, or little Jimmy's doing well. It would have been, there was a guy, right, who came in and cast out a demon. He cast out an unbeaten fear just through the word of his power. Where does he live? Where is he staying? He's staying at, in Peter's home, Simon Peter's home, in the village. So they go. You're going to see the whole town ends up at Jesus' door this very evening. Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. The evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So we come to the healing aspect of Jesus' ministry, which again we'll see over and over in the Gospels, but if you were there, you would have seen it. If you were in that home, you would have seen the home face, because they believe they found the home, the remains of it. It's pretty cool. You should read about it. It's in Biblical Archaeological Review. And uh, it kind of faced inward into a courtyard. And so you could see lots of people come gathering and pushing in. And you would have seen them come sick and leave healed. Jesus is erasing the effects of evil everywhere he goes. He is always the enemy of evil in all of its forms. Do you see how captivating that would have been? Right? To be in the presence of someone who simply by his power and by his word is always bent on doing what's good and what's right. And in this case, it looked like healing. And Jesus does this in some little village up near Galilee. He's not looking for a big platform right now. He's not looking for the biggest microphone or he would have gone to Jerusalem. He's content to serve in this little podunk fishing village because he loves people wherever they are which means you, and you, and you. He loves you wherever you are. He's not looking for impressive people and places, because he's God, and we don't impress him. So let's talk now about demons and unclean spirits. What is going on with that? Here's three common questions. Did this really happen, right? For the skeptics in the crowd, did this really happen? Were people demon-possessed, or were they just sick? You'll run into this in a lot of more academic, liberal commentaries. They're always trying to figure out the real sickness. Number three, are demons actually active today? I'm going to try to answer all these questions, okay? Uh, you might think I get it right. You might think I get it wrong. I'm just going to try to be faithful to the Bible. And then if this invites more questions on your part, you can bring them to me. And we'll search the scriptures together. Um, I don't claim to be an authority on this topic. I don't spend a ton of time studying it, but it is worth our time. So did it really happen? I want to point out this one basic part of the storyline. Everybody is shocked at what Jesus did. Okay. It wasn't like they were like, ah, yes, just like we thought would happen. 
They're literally going, what is this? Right? So if we come to the scriptures and we read an account of Jesus standing before a man, rebuking a spirit, this man is convulsing, lets out a scream. It's, we don't know what happens to the guy after that. If he falls down, if he stands up, the demon is gone, right? This is a shocking encounter. Had you seen it, you would have been shocked. Peter saw it. He said everyone was shocked. Everyone was amazed. It was not a normal everyday occurrence which is helpful because if you read this and go, that can't really happen, they're thinking the same thing. They're thinking, what is going on in our midst? Okay, so you're surprised in some way. Your doubts are kind of on the page of Scripture, and the point is it did happen. So did it really happen? The best I can say is yes. And if you read Mark trying to pick out what you think happened and what you think didn't really happen, you're not going to read Mark at all. You Remember we said in the beginning we have to exceed Jesus on his own terms. This is part of what it means. Question number two. Demon-possessed or just sick? Now, in Mark and in Luke, sometimes that line gets a little blurry. It really does. Like, if you read Luke's version of the healing of Peter's mom, it says Jesus rebuked the fever and it left her. That's kind of like demon language, spirit language. Rebuke and cast out. Mark doesn't really go that way. It just says he kind of heals her and the fever left. But look at verse 32 and 34. Mark recognizes there is a difference between being sick and having an unclean spirit. He says all who are sick, category one, or oppressed by demons, category two. Jesus handles it. and He healed many, category one. And he cast out many demons, category two. But note the end of 34. This is important. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Look, if Jesus is confused, and everybody's actually just sick, and he's talking to imaginary beings that don't exist, then Jesus is the craziest person on the scene. Right? I mean, honestly, if we're just approaching it rationally, like, that's crazy talk. But he's not confused. He's the wisest most influential human to ever walk the planet. He comes to us as the son of God. So why does he rebuke him? Why doesn't he let him say, hey, it's the Holy One of God? It's not like they're lying about him, right? He is the Holy One of God. What do you think? Mark is going to show us a lot of Jesus telling people to be quiet. It's a very interesting thing about the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is often telling people, now don't you talk about this. Don't go telling everybody. I think there's two reasons he specifically rebukes demons here. One is that evil never has a right to speak. We like to talk about we have the right to speak and the right blah, 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 blah. In the eyes of God, evil never has the right to speak. Because evil is what's Satan called? The father of what? Lies, right? So when evil starts talking, it's always irrational. And it always ends up lying and twisting the truth. And that harms people who aren't wise. So Jesus always shuts it down. But then number two is this. It just wasn't the time. At some point, Jesus would reveal himself more and more as the divine son of God and he knows that when he pushes that revelation forward it will lead to his death okay he's going to push it 
when the time comes, the time has not yet come, he's still revealing himself, he's still teaching us what it means to be a disciple, he's still showing us what the law is about as matters of the heart and love, there is more ministry yet to do, he's laying down the evidence and the groundwork, he's going to spend two years doing it and discipling those he leaves behind, if he revealed himself right away, would Peter and John and James be ready, would they be prepared, would they have gospels to share, no, right? There is, if you will, a, there's a bank of witnessing that's happening here, a growing a testimony that will carry forward through generations to come. So the time had not yet come. Now, before I answer the third question, do demons actually exist today? I want to stop and make sure we really see the heart of Jesus. It's one thing that struck me. Jesus can't, he cannot ignore evil. It would be contrary to the heart of God to ignore evil. Can you think of a single person who comes to Jesus for help and is turned away? Can you think of a single person in all those three years where people came to him left and right and whether they came with the effects of evil, right? Blind Bartimaeus on the road, Jairus, whose daughter is dying. The woman whose internal bleeding has been going on for over a decade. The lame man who's being carried by his friends through the roof. Everyone who comes to him, Jesus never turns him away because he can't. It would be contrary to God's will to turn away from the effects of evil when sinners softened in their heart cry out for help from God. God answers. When you cry out to God, Lord, I need your help, he hears and he answers. God is powerfully against evil in all of its forms. Sickness is a consequence of our sin. It is not random mutations of molecules in the universe, right? That is the party line, that it's random stuff and stuff happens and deal with it. The, the Christian worldview says this, sickness and chaos and death are a divine judgment on human wickedness and evil and sin. But even though the fault lays with us, God's grace comes to sorrowful, Repentant men and women who cry out to help. So I don't want you to miss that. And when those are overcome by de demon spirits, uh, in some ways seem totally possessed and can't cry out, Jesus casts the spirits out of them because he's the enemy of evil. Are you seeing that? Is that clicking with you at some level that when Jesus stands by your side, he is a powerful foe against all the evil in the universe. And he advocates for his saints on high. So if you're trapped in evil yourself, if temptations have you ensnared, if the effects of evil, sickness and pandemics, have you depressed and in fear, all I can say is cry out, Lord, help me. Save me. He's the Savior. Saving is what he does. 
He never runs out of energy. He never runs out of time. And he never gets tired of us. We have a great and amazing God. So if you're a believer, cry out. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never accepted Christ, I'll tell you this, on the day when you realize you can't do it on your own, that you are a sinner and always will be, and you need a Savior, on that day when you bow your knees to heaven and you say, Lord, save me, he's not going to sit there and go, nah, you waited too long. should have asked last year. He's going to save you. And then instead of Jesus being your enemy, he's going to be your friend. Because if it weren't for the cross, we would all be enemies of God, wouldn't we? It says we were lost in our sickness and sin until Christ saved us. All right, question three. Do demons actually actively exist today? Um, I'm going to use the word daimonia. That's the Greek word for demons, daimonia. Do the daimonia exist? Are they active today? I think there's three ways there are. One, and then we see this in the Gospels, and I'll explain, I think, why we see it less everywhere else in the Bible. Personal oppression of people. Two, spreading destructive teachings through corrupted teachers. And three, help establish false worship. Our example this morning was one of personal oppression. After you leave Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you don't even see this in John, okay? Once you leave behind Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you rarely, you rarely hear of people who have unclean spirits. There are occasions you do, but even Paul through Acts, right? That wasn't a big recurring theme, not the way it is in these Gospels. Look at this verse from Zechariah. I think this shows that Jesus' ministry was meant to highlight this. On that day, this is the day of the Lord, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. They literally called daimonia unclean spirits. And I think this is to show us it wasn't just an ungodly attitude like, well, you've got a bad spirit. I think this is literally to show us that Jesus came to remove and conquer a spiritual reality, unclean spirits on the day of the Lord. And so as he goes about this ministry, he again shows that he is the Lord walking among his people. So I think it's in fulfillment of Zechariah 13.2. Now, I think far more active is destructive teaching and false worship. Look at this passage on destructive teaching. This is Paul warning Timothy. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to what? To what? Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through who? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. He's warning Timothy that some people will depart from the faith because of the teachings of daimonia, the teachings of demons. And they will be spread. These teachings won't be spread directly, like we saw the demons speaking directly. 
in, uh, the, in Capernaum, they'll be spread through corrupted teachers. They're spread through the insincerity of liars who don't even care that they're lying. Their consciences are seared. Now, in Paul's day, look at what it included. And I would argue that if you heard it, you, you wouldn't think this is demon teaching, okay? He says, you forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, that probably doesn't sound to you like the teachings of demons, does it? You are expecting something scarier. Warlocks, you know, fiery red dragons, pentagrams on the ground, witches brew, right? What's the point? The teachings of demons are rarely about demons. In some ways, you could say they're too savvy for that. What's it about? Well, it's about turning God's blessings into a curse. It's about saying, well, in fact, there's special knowledge. This is called Gnosticism. And if you actually live cleaner lives, don't eat certain things, stay sexually chaste even when you don't need to be, you'll have a special relationship to God. And so the teachings of demons, I want to point out this, has an edge of enhanced spirituality to it, and it, and it has this ring of special secret knowledge about it. The church called this Gnosticism, mystery religions, right? It didn't have anything to do with demons or Satan or stuff that we typically think of as alluding to daimonia. So question today, does this still happen today? Are the teachings of daimonia actually active and present? Do they lead believers astray? I want to give you an example. But it's going to set some of you off a little bit. So I'm just going to say right out of the gate, I'm giving you an example that's spiritual, not political. It's been a little intertwined with politics in the last two years. But I want you to see it spiritually, okay? Because I could have pulled multiple examples. This one is just front and center. You know this guy? You see this picture? He's an actor, voiceover artist, former military. His name's Joseph Chansley. Do you know what he also calls himself? He's the self-proclaimed... QAnon shaman. Shaman. Now, I don't know if anyone else who believes in QAnon counts him as their shaman or shaman. He's now in prison because he was there at the riots. And I don't spend time reading the QAnon theories, but I want to use them as an example as where I think the teachings of demons, of daimonia, how they can present themselves in our culture today. Because I think you're going to see how some of these things fit. So we want to ask ourselves, is it just delusional, you know, that there is a secret cabal of elites around the world who are trafficking children, extracting their bloods, gaining special powers, and Donald Trump has been sent to destroy them, right? And a host of other things. Is that just kind of crazy, delusional stuff? Or is it worse in some ways? Does it need to be treated spiritually? And remember, you need to look at this spiritually, not politically. I'm not making a political point, because I could have pulled examples from any party, probably across the world, right? So how do you discern one versus the other? I would say, I'm going to give you a few tips. I think you start by looking at the core teachings. So contrast QAnon with the Tea Party movement. 
right? The Tea Party movement, Newt Gingrich, I believe, was at the forefront of that several years back. It was very rational. It was built on a platform that said, hey, we want lower this, we want less government, we want this. It was, it was legitimate political arguments. The QAnon movement is not built primarily on that idea. It's built on this secret knowledge that we know something you don't know. It's fundamentally irrational and contradicts itself. There's thousands of things that kind of get labeled, grouped together as it. And so it's built at its core. It's, it's not political at its core, is it? It's something other. It speaks to hidden power and knowledge. A secret track, right? Look for a spiritual edge. Again, the Tea Party is a good example. No one would have said, I'm the shaman of the Tea Party, right? Or I'm the high priest of the Tea Party. That would have been ludicrous. But the mere fact that there's this slight spiritual edge, and maybe most people say, well, he's just being an actor. He's crazy. But there it is nonetheless. What does John say we should do when we encounter forces, whatever they may be, who have this sense of secret spiritual knowledge? They can be in the church, too, right? John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. What's the test? What's the, do you know what the test is? In John's day, and it all revolves around Jesus, he says, By this you'll know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the test is, is Jesus Christ divinely sent from God to earth? And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Test the spirits. Whatever might be presenting to you, if it's making a spiritual claim at any level, run it against this. What does it say about Jesus Christ? Three, look for violence and death. Again, we're, we're trying to discern between kind of what we'll call normal human delusional stuff and the teachings of daimonia. I said, look at the core of it. You know, is it built fundamentally on lies or not? Two, right, test the spirits. It usually has a spiritual edge. Three, look for violence and death. Right, so last Wednesday, one QAnon, quote, believer, left Colorado. You may have read about this. He had 2,500 rounds of ammo in his truck. He had some type of assault telescoped rifle. He had 320 body armor-piercing bullets in his van. And when he heard that Vice President Pence wasn't going to stop the certification process, he texted that it's wartime. And when he was three and a half hours away, he said, three and a half hours from target practice. That's bad. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Most people who call, maybe associate with QAnon, didn't drive to D.C. with vans filled with ammo. 
right? This man did because these lies had made deeper inroads into a, a man who is mentally unstable. The daimonia don't care who wins the elections. I probably could present Antifa up here and run through very similar things, right? They don't care. You might say, well, aren't they at odds, Antifa and QAnon? The daimonia don't care. They just want to see theft, kill, destruction, lies, division, the end of the gospel, the enhancement of evil, the enhancement of corrupted institutions. They don't have, they don't care fundamentally, except remember, we're citizens of heaven. And Jesus says, you wrestle not with flesh and blood, Paul says, but with spirits and powers and authorities. And so in some ways, we must need to transcend as a church and be able to discern within any groups we call our own, whether you call yourselves a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or an Environmentalist or this or that, you have to be very discerning because the daimonia do not care and they are actually active. And when you start to see the, the hallmarks of it, lies, and violence and spirituality and you recognize that it can make inroads in groups you like and it can make inroads in groups you don't like you recognize that in some ways you must be prayerful people you must be a prayerful church because you don't have anything else to really fundamentally come against an unclean spirit with except the spirit of the living God who is the enemy of all evil right so if you're going to petition and you're going to be a difference maker, guys, America is kind of in shambles right now. Where's the church? Where's the church? They got to be more than picking a sign, holding a sign. They got to be faithful in prayer, knowing that evil is happy to situate itself anywhere it can. There are unstable people all over this country. They can be used. I'm not saying that man was possessed by a demon. But I am saying I believe he has been leveraged to spread teachings that bring death and lies and destruction. Just the way, way back when, they were teaching, well, don't do this, don't do that. If you said, you're, you're spreading demon lies, they would have said, no, we're not. Paul said, yes, you are. Because anything that doesn't testify that Jesus Christ is Lord is actually contrary to the gospel of God. Let's close here. Do you wrestle at all? Do you wrestle? Or do you just complain or talk or debate? Do you get into prayer and wrestle? We got it. Talking to me too, okay? I'm not just talking, preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. Do I wrestle? Too often I read, look, compare, but I don't get on my knees and say, Lord, help America. Some of you probably are more faithful than am I on the front, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present 
darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm not sending you out here to go find demons. But I am sending you out here to wrestle. And to know that Jesus, the great arch enemy of all evil, he wrestles with it. And he won the battle decisively on the cross by absorbing our evil into himself and dying as a sacrifice for his people. So that we might hold forth the truth in a world that's otherwise in chaos. So I'm going to close here. I'll remind you again, I, I used that illustration because I think most of you might vote Republican. So you might know people who are kind of engaged or curious about some of these things. You might have people who are getting sucked into the scheme of lies and power and justified violence, and they need to hear you. Right? We often kind of hang with people of our own ilk. If this were a church mostly of, and I'm just making assumptions, but I know some of you pretty well. If this were a church mostly of Democrats, I wouldn't have used that example. I probably would have flipped it over and looked at Antifa more deeply. But my assumption is you kind of, if you're on one side, you tend to see the other side a little more clearly. It's harder to see within our own, right? It's just, it's harder. We tend to give the benefit of the doubt. So apply these things spiritually. I'm not worried about votes and politics this morning. I'm worried about the church wrestling evil in all of its forms in the world, as we're called to do. Why don't we stand, pray. Musicians, you can come up. Thank you guys for your patience. As I said, this is going to go a little long. If I left you with a ton of questions, just bring them to me afterward. Um, be happy to keep looking at scriptures together and just study but until then let's be uh, soldiers for Christ let's pray